How are you? I'm well. You're well. Are you nervous? A little. Should she be nervous? No. No, they don't think you should be nervous. So don't be nervous. They said no. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. You're okay? Yeah. yeah. Water's nice. The water is nice. I said it would be nice. Yeah. I didn't know. I was, that was an act of faith because <laughs> I hadn't felt it yet. But the team that puts this together, they're pretty good. So tell me a little bit about your story, Jennifer. So when I was eight... Uh, I'm from Dallas originally. I was eight. We had joined a Baptist church, and a part of joining a Baptist church is getting baptized. And um, we had we were there for a little bit, and the pastor had made some poor financial decisions, which affected the whole congregation, and we ended up leaving. So as a young child, I didn't go to church. I lived my whole life without God. And as you can imagine, I made a lot of bad decisions in my life. And, um, but there was always something missing, you know, there was always something that, um, no matter how hard I worked at my job and succeeded, something was always missing. So in about 2009, I decided to make the move to California. I love to hike for anybody that knows me. And, and, um, and so I thought, sure, I'll hike. That's going to make it better. I'm going to get to hike on the weekends. It's going to be fantastic. And it was. It was great. I've had some really amazing hikes, but still this thing is missing. So um, in 2013, my mother passed away mm. uh, from cancer. She had a really long battle with cancer. And um, that, kind of, that experience kind of started my journey back to Christ. I asked myself the question, did mom really go to heaven? Because I didn't know. And every year after that, we had another family member pass. And with every funeral I went to, we, I kept kind of filling this pull and need to come to God. And I needed Christ in my life. So um, in 2019... Let me stop you right there. What an interesting statement in the scripture about it's better to go to a funeral than it is to a party. It says better to be in a house of mourning than a house of feasting. Because you go to a house of mourning, a, a funeral, it says the living take it to heart. Uh, because this is the end of every man. We, we all have to face our mortality. So it's interesting you talk about funerals. Some of you, when you deal with that, a lot of people are so insulated or maybe young enough, they really haven't dealt with death. But when it starts to affect your family, yeah. I mean, that gets the wheels cranking and you start to think, where do I stand yeah. with Christ? So what exactly. a great preparatory work that God did in that, as Absolutely. sad and hard as that is, but uh, that, gets, that gets you prepped. And yes. then what happened? So uh, six years of that, because we've had uh, my entire ancestor line has now passed. Um, I decided to come to church in 2019. I finally said, just do it. What are you waiting for? And so I had this big plan that I was going to do four ser sermons in four weeks at each church and bounce church to church. There's Angela, mm -hmm. who got me coming to Compass. Mm. And uh, she didn't know I was coming to the Compass at the time. But um, I showed up one Saturday night and thought, let's do it. And it was your Sermon on Reflections of Majesty, Psalm 8. And I have a background in science, and I love astronomy. And you started speaking about the Earth. And this is the only time, by the way, I've ever heard you speak about planets and stars and mm. things as detailed as you did in, this, in your sermon. And um, you were talking about the Earth sitting on its perfect axis to give mm. us the four seasons, mm. the size of the sun and the moon, how they perfectly light and heat mm. the Earth. Mm. And then you finished by saying... Uh, what are the odds that God didn't do this? Mm -hmm. And it was like you were speaking just, just right at me. And um, so my plan to go to four sermons, and mm. that just stayed. I didn't mm. go anywhere. 
So. Can you imagine those other three churches could have been so much better than this church? So. <laughs> As it could, I mean, you don't know, right? All right, anyway. So a few sermons later, mm -hmm. you did one of your famous sermons on, are you sure you're really a Christian? Mm. And you all know what I'm mm. talking about. They only know that because I just had one, right? Exactly. Two weeks ago, I had one of those, yeah. So I left the, I left the sermon that day really just struggling because I was pretty sure I wasn't. I thought I was doing most of it right, but I just wasn't quite sure. So I spoke with one of the church counselors, and she gave me your book, Getting It Right. So I'd read this book long before. Um, I was on a flight to Orlando, and I started reading this book, and I penned up. I've never penned up a book like this. I was exclamation point, underlying circles. I was like, oh, this is amazing. And I had a lot of points that were validated for me, like that I was doing some things right. But uh, the repentance component of salvation was a big one for me. And you painted this beautiful picture where you're literally turning away from your sin. And that repentance is not a one-time thing. It's a constant thing. As sinners, we constantly sin and we need to repent. So that was a big missing piece for me. As I'm going through the book, this lady approaches me on the plane. Again, never happens. And um, she says, uh, what book are you reading? And I was like, oh, it's a really fantastic book about getting it right with God. My pastor wrote it. And she's like, well, how do I get one? And I said, I don't know. And so I was like, but I have a card from the church. I just happened to pick up some of the compass cards. And so I gave her a card. And um, at that moment, I felt convicted. I needed to give her the book. And so I was like, but I got to finish the book. Mm. So I was intense on finishing this book. And by the time we touched down in Orlando, I'd finished the book. And I gave it to her. And she was sitting with her husband and just told her, you know, I, this book has really blessed me. I hope it blesses you the same. And they were really touched by that. And I hope that, you know, that's paid it forward quite a bit. Um, so, um, so yeah, so at that moment, I feel like I truly repented and truly, like, really understood, like, what it meant to be a Christian and walking with Christ. Um, so, you know, kind of post-saving, um, I've just been blessed in so many ways. Six months before... Um, or six months after I was saved, my father passed away, mm -hmm. and he was kind of the last of my line. Um, luckily, I still have my sister and my family here in California. Um, but one of the things he asked me before he died, and this was before, his death was really immediate, which was a blessing too, but, um, but uh, one of the things he asked me was, are you saved? Did you get saved? Now, he's a new Christian himself. Mm -hmm. He ended up getting remarried to a very strong Christian and who, thank God, brought him to God. And um, so he knew what I was, he felt guilty as a father for not raising mm -hmm. us in Christ. Mm -hmm. And um, so I told him yes, and he was very blessed about that. And likewise, I was really happy and, and happy to know where he was going, right? Yeah. So when he went, this death for me was kind of the bookend on the entire experience that um, I knew where he was going and I was happy with that. Um, since then, I have just poured myself into this church and into the people. There's so many amazing people here and great support with the groups. And now I'm serving in Kidsmen, mm. which has just been amazing. And, you know, I know it's only the beginning, but I've really kind of taken myself out of the driver's seat, if you will. Good. And uh, put my faith and trust in God. Awesome. That's a good story right there, isn't it?
Well, Jennifer, based on that testimony, it's my privilege to baptize you as Christ commanded. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How you doing? Doing excellent. Thank good, you. Good. Good. Well, tell us a little of your story, Cyrus. All right. So I've been coming to this church for a long time, about 13 years, and always you been... You started early. Yeah, yeah very okay. early. All the way through Cubbies. Oh, Cubbies. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so always been pretty active, did hospitality with my dad, um, but none of that really, it was just kind of a chore to me. Um, it wasn't anything that I looked forward to doing or like, yeah, just look forward to doing. And um, so I went through all the way through about seventh grade of that. And uh, one of the nights it was a sermon that I just felt very convicted and I just had to do something. Um, so just I talked to... a regular weekend message? Or? Yeah, just a regular oh, weekend. Yep. Um, and so I took aside Hunter Adamski mm. uh, at the end and we prayed together, we said some words um, and I went home thinking I was saved. But nothing actually changed in my life and I could tell right away because uh, I had pretty bad anger issues um, and that was still apparent throughout my life, even after uh, I thought I was saved, which should have been a pretty big uh, point out that I, I wasn't. And that happened, or I kept living for about a year and a half, and then it was revival of 2016 um, when you were talking about the lukewarm Christian. Mm. And uh, all of your points just applied directly to my life at that time. And I didn't know what to do with myself because I thought I was saved. I thought I was going to heaven. And then when you, when you said that, that I would be spit out, mm. it just, it scared me. Yeah. Um, yeah and so. what a passage, you know the passage <laughs> he's talking about in Re Revelation chapter 3, and we all think that we can kind of slide into Christianity, right, with an untransformed heart. And we think if I got a foot in the world and a foot inside of the church, you know, that's pretty good. I got, I got a little of both, but that passage, and you put it nicely, right? Because the word spit uh, out of your mouth is really the word in Greek to vomit. And uh, this is such a graphic scene. And there's only a few passages in the New Testament where such real graphic language is used, but that's one of them. And I'm sure I said that if it was a bunch of teenagers <laughs> in the room, I probably made it clear that the word is vomit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. To, to, to hurl, to barf. And uh, so, yeah. That's just an amazing text. So that, that got to you there. Yeah, got, it did. Yeah. Um, so much so, in fact, that at the end of the week, um, I took aside Austin Seeger, who was my leader. Mm. And that is the day when I turned completely from my sins and put my entire trust and faith in God. Mm. And you saw changes there yeah. after that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, after that, I had a real passion for serving the church. Mm. Um, even to this day, I'm still serving. And I, I find joy every day. Yeah. Um, and my anger is gone. Mm, wow. um, yeah, thank the Lord. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so good. Yeah. 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 It's hard to explain to someone who's in the position you were in. And I was right there with you, right? Teenager, going to church, been to the camps, but my heart hadn't yet changed. And to try to describe to someone what the difference is, is really hard because they've only experienced the kind of outer conformity and kind of struggling to try and be a Christian. 
But then when God really gets a hold of us from the inside, it changes everything about how our, our, our lives are lived. You've seen the change from the inside. And while we're not claiming, and, and certainly Cyrus isn't trying to say that you walk out of that experience and you never sin again, it's just that your, your heart motivation changes and you start to see a radical difference with how you deal with some of the issues in your own heart. And God starts to work out a whole different thing. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And you experience that, hard to describe it to people if they haven't experienced that. Uh, but that is the thing that gave you, I'm sure, a lot of assurance. That whatever you did yeah. before, this is the real deal right, right there. Mm -hmm. And so your life has been transformed and changed. Awesome. Well, based on that, Cyrus, that's a great testimony. It's my privilege to baptize you as Christ told us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How are you? I'm just dandy. Good, good. <laughs> nervous. No, no. Should she be nervous? No. no, they don't think you should be nervous. So let's obey what they're saying. They say don't be nervous. So good to have you here. And uh, the water's warm as I promised, right? Feels yes. good, doesn't it's it? awesome. That helps you not be so nervous. Yep. When it's really cold, like 40 degrees, then we get even more nervous when it's that cold. But now it's a nice, probably 80 degrees. So we're in good shape. So tell us a little bit about your story. So I actually um, turned from my sins and put my faith in Jesus in 1994. Mm. Very early on, I was all excited. I got, I got a job at the church. I was working in ministry. I was in this ministry bubble, right? Yeah. Totally protected. But there's a reason why in 1 Timothy 3, 6, God says, don't put people who are new believers in, in positions of leadership. Mm -hmm. I got really prideful, mm. and I'll never forget being very judgmental at people at church mm. that I'd smell alcohol on their mm. breath and think, oh, they can't mm. be Christians. Mm -hmm. And um, I fell in mm. a prolonged, into a prolonged period of, mm. of sin and um, just really struggled with that. Well, I came back to Christ in, in 2007, but there was still something going on. So I had this big paying job. I made like six figures mm. and I was blaming everybody else at the job for how I felt so horrible. Mm. I was angry and bitter. It was yeah. my heart. Yeah, yeah. Right? And um, I can't I started coming here in 2018 and I met with Pastor Lucas and at that time I was really I was getting more into the word and um started being convicted about my own sin at mm. that job. So that job I had to to lie for a living for in large part. Pastor Lucas said, you can't work there anymore. Yeah. So it was a choice I had. But you knew that. It, I, I, mean, I did. Right. I did. Right. But it, I needed. It wasn't like you were like, wow, Pastor Lucas, really? <laughs> exactly. <Right? laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. You're like, no, yeah, probably I shouldn't be at a, at a job <laughs> where I have to I, lie. Yeah. But it took somebody right. to, to hear course. that. We've all been To there. make that decision. And yeah. it was either God yeah. or this job right. and my own self and, and yeah. that, oh, all the bitterness and that my heart and my, okay, yeah. it's me, myself, and I. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's not, yeah. it's not about God. So I made that decision. I left that job. It was the best thing that I, the best decision I ever made. How long did it take you in, when you quit, to, to look back on that and go, Man, that was a good decision. Oh, gosh. Probably within days. Yeah. Because my time alone with the Lord mm. has just been amazing. He's brought me back. to It's almost like the beginning, but in a sense, it's more of a mature beginning yeah. because I have 
the roots growing a little bit now. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so good. And so then at some point you're thinking, well, I had a lot of history with all this, but um, haven't been baptized. Then yep. that was another it, moment probably for you, right? I like, was baptized in, two th- in 1994, yeah, right. but that yeah. was like, yeah. yeah. No. So it, that, and then there's probably people in that position here that think, yeah, well, it doesn't really matter if it doesn't save you to be put in water. You felt the conviction, I'm sure, just thinking about even if you lead someone to Christ, you tell them, oh, go get baptized, right? And you had that sense that I got to get in that tank. You yeah. probably sat out there during baptisms and started to feel the pain. Well, last you? weekend. Hello. Yeah, yeah last weekend, right? <laughs> so what would you say to those people out there like, nah, it's too scary. I don't want to get baptized. What would you tell them? You know what? It's our obedience to Christ. Right. So are we going to be obedient to what he's calling us to do or are we not? Yeah. So. Right. No, that's awesome. And you proved just even how you responded to that job situation. Sometimes it's not easy to follow Christ, right? I mean, that's when we prove our love for Christ is when sometimes we, it's a costly thing. And I know that even here being here, even though this is a friendly crowd, no one's throwing anything at you. No one's yelling at you. Uh, you know, it's a little scary for some people, but you're getting up here doing exactly what Christ asked. And just like that job, I don't think it'll take you days. I think it'll take you just minutes. Get back there. You're drying off going, that was a really good thing <laughs> yeah, that totally. I did. I obeyed Jesus Christ, and that's the good thing, right? Right. Good deal. Well, based on that testimony, Terry, it's my privilege to baptize you as Christ told us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we work through the mechanics of baptism backstage, I always pick the, the littlest person. So we've already kind of gone through, we've mocked through this, right, without the water. And uh, that was kind of fun. I don't know. You'll be the, there's always one on, on the weekend that gets to do that. So uh, how you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Excited to be here, I'm, I'm sure, to yes, do what Christ told exciting. you to do. And um, just at kind of the beginning of your future here, thinking down the road, you're looking back to what happened. I'm assuming that was recently, but tell us when that happened and how that happened and how did God get a hold of your life? So I was raised, I had the privilege of being raised in a Christian home with two parents that are saved who um, raised me in church, brought me to church every weekend. And Let me stop you right there. I don't know that, I just don't know how many of us see what a benefit that is. Although I bet some of you out there know what a huge thing that is. You said what privilege I think that was, what a privilege it was. Um, I mean, you can nod at that, right? Because some of you didn't have it. Parents that were saved, parents that love the Lord, parents that took you to church. That is a huge thing. And I mean, just to say that little sentence, I think is so powerful and so meaningful. And parents out here, I mean, they're, they're giving their kids a great gift by raising them in a Christian home. So anyway, I'm sorry, interrupting tonight, but go ahead. Um, so I was always the kid that knew all of the answers that the Sunday school teachers asked and to the questions that they asked. And so that was kind of my reputation, the smart kid that knew her Bible well. And then when I was in fourth grade, I thought I got saved because I understood the biblical gospel for the first time. And I trusted, I, I mean, I believed that Christ had died for my sins, lived and died. And, but I didn't return for my sins and place my trust in Christ. So I lied to everybody and told everybody that I got saved then. And I even deceived myself by saying that. And um, later, or one year after that, 
when I was in fifth grade, my family and I started coming to Compass Bible Church, and um, it was really hard for me because all my friends had been at the other church, and I had been going to the other church my entire life. And so I felt that I didn't need new friends at Compass, so I kind of just pushed everybody away that tried to reach out to me and were really sweet to me. And because of that, I felt really lonely and unloved. And um, so it was then that I realized that I hadn't placed my trust in Christ, mm. that I was um, still looking to this world for satisfaction, and that my hope wasn't in Christ, and I was never filled with the joy of the Lord. Um, so, But I, I didn't tell anybody that I wasn't saved, and I just kept telling everybody that I did repent on um, in fourth grade. And then um, when I was going into seventh grade, I went to my first revival, and it was there that my two loving leaders, um, Tammy Kent and Abby Lopez, mm. they asked me if I was saved. And I told them that I didn't know because I wasn't ready to admit to anybody that I hadn't got saved and that I was still dead in my sins. Um, but later that week, I had a one-on-one -on -one with Mrs. Ken, and she explained the gospel to me, and um, I told her that I understood it, and I believed it. And then she asked me again if I was saved, and I finally told her that I wasn't saved. I was still living for myself, and I was still, yes. Yeah. Um, and think about that little line right there, because, and here's one of the liabilities of being raised in a Christian home, especially being a smart kid in a Christian home. I mean, we, we just think, hey, we've been in this thing from the beginning, as early as I've, uh, as I've understood it. But I love that phrase that you use, because it's used in Scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.15, where it says, it describes Christianity this way, that we no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died for us and rose again. That's way different than knowing the facts, right? I mean, think about it. All of us that grow up in church, and I was, you know, like you, growing up in church, great Christian home, and you just think, I know this stuff. It's here. And then we're hit with passages like in James where it says the demons know all the stuff too. Right? It's one thing to know the stuff. It's another thing to be confronted with, where's my heart right now? Am I ready to live for the Lord? And, and it's, that's so different. It's like even knowing who, you, who you're going to marry one day and, and saying, well, yeah, theoretically, I know as a kid, I've known my whole life, but to actually commit to that marriage and say, no, the rest of my life is in your hands. Right? This is in a covenant relationship now. That's a much bigger step. It takes the whole of your heart. And so I, I know what that's like. I've been through that as well, that picture of just having that intellectual knowledge. And there are people here probably that are relying on their intellectual knowledge. But you know that it has to come down to that place of 2 Corinthians 5.15, that real repentance and faith is that shift to say, I'm no longer living for myself. And so when you got to that place with Tammy that night, Mrs. Kent, as you said so respectfully, uh, you, you had, I mean, something, something different took place that night, right? Yes. And you knew it. I did. You felt it. Um, so she asked me what was keeping me from getting saved right then and there. And I didn't really know, but she helped me realize that it was my pride, that I wasn't, I didn't want to tell everybody that I had lied to them mm -hmm. and that I was still living for myself. Um, so then we prayed, and it was then that I repented for my sins and placed my trust in Christ. Mm -hmm. And it was then that God saved me. And now my life is completely different. I no longer live for myself and my own desires, but I live to glorify God. And it is because of his great mercy that I can stand here and say that it is well with my soul. Yeah, that's good. Good stuff. How did your parents respond to that? When you came home and said, you know what? I told you I was a Christian for all those years, but... I wasn't, and I just became a Christian. How'd they respond to that? Um, I think they knew that I 
wasn't a Christian, yeah. and so they were really happy yeah. that, yes. Yeah, and it's funny because I remember telling my parents when, you know, I'd been telling them all those years, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and then having it really happen and telling them that, and I thought, I had no idea, we didn't prompt this, right, we didn't, you know, rehearse that, I had no idea what our answer would be, but I assume being in a good Christian home, your parents would say what my parents said, which is, we get it, and, uh, and that's good. Because they've seen a different sense, a different sense that time, I'm sure, and we just are so excited that you have so much of your life, we assume, ahead of you here that God is going to use you for His glory, and we love that story. And based on that story, Morgan, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How you doing, Justin? I'm doing good. How are you? Good to have you in the tank. Feels good in here, doesn't it? It does. If there weren't all those people looking at you, it'd feel really good. <laughs> but they're here, and they love you, and I'm sure most of them are in their hearts just eating this service up. It's much like going to a, you know, a situation where you think, that is what my life's all about. I know a lot of these people here are so excited to hear these stories, so tell us a little bit of your story. All right, so I grew up in the church um, for most of my life, and uh, during high school, I understood what the gospel was, but I never understood fully um, repentance and faith. So when I got into college, I started to live a divided life. I gave half of my life to partying and drinking with friends, and the other half of my life went to going to church and serving. I thought that as long as I did my due, due diligence, I was saved, and, um, and God showed me that he wanted all of my life and not just half of it. So um, during my junior year in college, he pushed me and said, um, you either leave me or you leave your friends. So on that day, I... Uh, went before God on my knees and repented of my sins and gave my life in its totality to Christ. Yeah. Wow. There's another passage that is descriptive of Christianity, Luke 14:33, where Jesus says, you can't be my disciple unless you give up all of your possessions, which is an interesting thing as you think, well, wait a minute, how does that work? And it's interesting you talk about your friends that you knew that that was going to be one thing that God was going to ask of you. And yet, when we become Christians, we put everything out there for God, right? Under new management, God, whatever you'd like to do, whatever you'd like to change, whatever it is that you want to adjust. And I know that going into that, many of us struggle with actually becoming a Christian because we know the thing that God is going to take from us, right? We know this is the problem. We know it's one of the things that God is not going to allow to stay the same. And uh, I've seen so many people... They don't put it this way, but they should. They're willing to turn God away for this thing or this relationship or this group of friends or this experience. And that's kind of grappling with the idols of our heart, right? That's the hard thing. And I would say to the Christians out there, the last verse of 1 John 5 is a reminder that Christians, though we put all those idols there on the altar when we become a Christian, we still struggle with those idols, right? And here is John saying to his congregation, hey, guard yourself from idols. He talks to his, his church there. John does, you know, your, his people. He says, you've got to guard your heart from those idols. And, and we know, and sometimes we paint a picture at baptisms, and it sounds like, hey, everyone becomes a Christian, everything's smooth sailing. But there's plenty of, there's plenty of draw that's left from a lot of different idols, if not the same idols that we struggle with. But since that time, you've seen God change your heart. 
And even though you and I both struggle with the Christian life, you've seen with assurance that God has changed your, your, just the interior of your life. You've seen that, right? You've seen the evidence of that. Yeah, yeah. he has uh, definitely changed me. He's made me more um, gentle and caring towards other people. And he pushed me towards um, high school ministry. And I never thought I would be there. I thought it'd be working behind the scenes, but it has been a blessing and a joy to, um, to be there and to serve there. And, um, right now it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a joy. Yeah. And how good it's going to be next time you lead a high schooler to Christ and you say, now you got to go get baptized. You'll have a shirt in your, in your dresser and you'll say, oh, I remember I got baptized. You'll, you'll be able to say that with a lot more conviction now. That's a good thing, right? Indeed, uh, Cyrus was, is one of my students, oh. so <laughs> I'm proud of him that he's getting baptized. Had we known that, we would have reversed the order here tonight. <laughs> but uh, anyway, but now he'll always be able to remind you that he got baptized before you did. Yep. <laughs> but Justin, based on that testimony, it's my privilege to baptize you as Christ told us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How are you, Kendra? I'm good. Good. A lot of people out here rooting for you, <laughs> but pretend they're not there. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit. Okay. Yeah? Yes. Tell us a little of your story. Well, I have your typical Compass Kid story, except for I wasn't saved at Revival. Oh. <laughs> well, then, Kendra, it's not a typical Compass Kid story. Then. True. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Which actually plays a big part of my testimony. But I grew up coming to Compass ever since I can remember. And I always knew that I wasn't right with God. I always knew that my sin separated me from God and that I had a problem with God, but it never bothered me enough to do anything about it. So I grew up knowing I have a problem with God and someday I need to do something about it. And so I got into the edge and I started to really understand just how big of a problem I had. And that's the fifth, sixth grade ministry. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So got into the fifth and sixth grade ministry and realized that I really have a problem with God. And at some point I really need to do something about this. And I 100% knew, okay, repentance and faith. And I didn't do anything about it. And so I got into the narrow and of course the, the junior high ministry. And of course the first thing that happens when you get into the narrow is revival, sign up for revival. You have to go to revival. But something that I had struggled with my whole entire life was anxiety, and it just was completely ruling my life. And so revival seemed impossible to me. And so Pastor John found out that I wasn't going to revival, and we had a lot of tough conversations. Um, <laughs> I can imagine what those conversations were like. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so we had a lot of tough conversations that started with, well, why aren't you going to revival? And I had to explain to him, well... I am really struggling with anxiety, and I basically ended up having to tell him how it was completely ruling my life. And that turned into, well, why aren't you giving it to God? And I eventually had to tell him, I'm not saved. And so we had a lot of conversations that I need to give it to God, and I need to give my life to God. And revival seemed impossible enough, but giving my life to God and not being in control of my life anymore, that was completely terrifying to me, mm. and I couldn't do it. And so revival passed, and I didn't go. And that year, we went through the book of First John as our sermon series. And it felt like every single sermon was, repent, you need to get right with God. Mm. And I sat there knowing that I was rejecting God, and I knew 
what I was doing, but I would not give my life to God because I couldn't fathom the fact that I wouldn't be in control of my life anymore. And so winter revival rolled around and the same thing again, I wasn't going to revival. And so Pastor John and I had a lot more hard conversations mm. about not going to revival. And I had a lot of conversations with my leader as well. And I knew exactly what I was doing and I knew exactly what I had to do, repentance and faith. But I would not give my life to God because I just wanted that control over my life. And so winter revival passed and I didn't go. And when they came back from winter revival, um, the next small groups, Pastor John did a sermon recap of what they learned up there. And I don't remember everything that he said, but the one thing that stuck with me to this day is when you keep rejecting the gospel and when you keep rejecting God, you're trampling over the blood of Jesus Christ. And that completely destroyed me. Mm. And I went into small groups that night, completely convicted. And we talked about Jesus came down from his perfect throne in heaven and was born in a manger and lived the perfect life and died in my place. And yet I couldn't give my life to him and I would not give my life to him. And so I no longer wanted to live for myself. I no longer wanted that control because Jesus did it for me and he lived for me and died for me. And I wanted to give my life for, to him and I wanted to live for him. And so that night, uh, March 23rd, 2018, I repented and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Mm. And I still struggle with anxiety and it's something that I have to deal with every day, but I can give it to God. And I have this perfect peace that I cannot explain to mm. you because I gave my life to Christ. And since then I've been to revival. I recently, <laughs> I recently had the opportunity to go um, on a mission trip to Utah for seven days in a different state and mm. share the gospel with the LDS people in Salt Lake City. And I am only standing here today because of the grace of God. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and when you think about what it is to be a Christian, think about the shift that takes place, which is a transaction. I mean, we've described it many ways from different passages, but you know, First John has, it's so convicting. Anyone out there who's thinking, well, I, I don't understand what these people are saying. Just study the book of First John. It is so good. Yeah. It's just this short little book, but it is so powerful. And that turnaround to see God as God and me as not the center of the universe, mm -hmm. that just is powerful, right? I mean, we've described it in so many different ways, but to have that experience of saying, okay, if God is God, then I, I'm going to have God be God in my life, which means if he wants me to go somewhere, I'm going to go. If he wants me to do something, I'm going to do it. That is what faith is all about, right? Biblical faith. Some people think it's just signing a, you know, a, a set of, uh, you know, an agreement to a set of facts. There was a Christ. He did die on a cross. He died for me. It's not about mental assent to those facts, it's about what trust means, which is to say, God's going to be God in my life. And that's huge. And that's giant. And that has all of these implications that everyone tonight has talked about. And you've just said it so well, Kendra, that picture of just having God be God. And no longer it's about you being the center of all those things. And mm -hmm. then to say, here's someone whose struggle was anxiety. And, you know, here you are in front of hundreds of people. I hate to point that out, but hundreds of people that are here 
and you're, you're boldly proclaiming that you stand with Christ and that he's bigger and more important to you than your anonymity and your, you know, being to yourself and not, you know, being anxious. I mean, that's just, that's giant. That's huge. And that is an expression. You are showing the fruit of your salvation just by being here. And, and uh, you know, the people that knew me when I was a kid can tell you, Carlin can tell you, I, I, I hated talking in front of people. Now people want me to stop talking in front of them because I talk so much in front of people. And, and I, I know what it is to say, I don't ever want to be on a platform. I don't want to say anything to anyone. When you say, okay, God, you just are going to be God, then no telling what God might do. Yeah. And uh, he's done it tonight just by you testifying to what you've testified to. And I'm so proud of you. And Christ is proud of you. And it's a privilege to baptize you, Kendra, based on that testimony, as Christ commanded in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I warned everybody, it's a big step. And unless you're six feet tall, it feels like a giant step, doesn't it? <laughs> now, are you nervous, Jackie? Okay. Should she be nervous, everybody? No? No one's going to throw anything at her, right? No? You're not mad at her, are you? No. Good. You're proud of her for doing what Christ asked us to do, right? So that's a good thing. So, Jackie, tell us a little of your story. Well, first thing I want to say is uh, yesterday while crying, I was going over my testimony. And then I have family here. And God told me in my heart, don't be concerned of what others think, or what your family thinks. I will take care of that. Mm -hmm. So... I'm going to begin by saying that I was a practicing Catholic and also that my life had more downs than ups. And uh, I'm praying to the wrong people like Mary and the Rosary and saints. And I wasn't really having a relationship with God. And here I'm doing things my way and not his way. And uh, then after a while, you know, God puts you in situations to where he's going to get you home. He's going to, he's going to make it work. And, you know, going through a war in Iraq where I saw death and I was almost killed, that I made a promise to God that I would take care of people. It is very hard when you see hell on earth and you have the young men and women while I'm on funeral detail. Uh, they have to get buried and they're only in their 20s and I'm 42. So after the war, just doing things my way, getting into habits, putting money in the wrong places, making wrong decisions, thinking this is what God wants, but it was actually what I was doing, what I want. And then, uh, and then there were nights where, and this is hard part, where I felt like taking my life because it was so hard. I was still doing Navy duty and I'd have to drive to Port Wainimi base. And there were times that I wanted to drive off the beach 
And for some reason, God, God would not let me. I thought it many times, and God would not let me. And so I didn't. But then, you know, I had that promise, I'm going to take care of people. I am a caregiver at this time. And so God, this is the journey, that God brings me as my client, Raymond Potter, and his wonderful wife, Patricia Potter. So here I'm a practicing Catholic, still going to church, <laughs> but I had to go to the service here <laughs> because I had to take care of Ray. <laughs> and so I'm attending services here, and I see Pastor Mike, and I like, oh, he's a nice guy. He's nice people. <laughs> And, you know. That's not always the opinion people have, <laughs> but I appreciate that that's how you saw it. Yeah, because it's like, wow, he's got something to say. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was convicting. It was like the third service that I'm like, whoa, something's going on in my heart. And, mm. and um, being with Patricia and Ray Potter and helping Ray um, getting rehabilitated, that... Uh, for Ray's speech, we read the DBR every day. Yeah, they did it. They did it anyway, but I participated <laughs> to help his speech. And then I still had to be here, Compass Bible Church, every week. <laughs> and, uh, and then one time, uh, Patricia says, "Are you available for a women's Bible study?" <laughs> and I said, "Oh, sure." You know, and here, practicing Catholic, teaching catechism, and everything. She bought me the first Samuel book. That was the first women's Bible study. Mm -hmm. And I participated. I said, oh, these, they all knew I was Catholic, the women. But they accepted me. They did not pass judgment. And I said, this is loving. They know I'm, okay, this is cool. You're cool, and they're cool. And <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not a description I get very often. Either, but I appreciate that. And uh, so with that, then women's Bible study, I have Gail Campbell mm. and, and uh, Beverly Verano and the beautiful ladies in the group and your wife and Stephanie. I mean, this is, this is great. Mm. So my heart is still convicting me that, wow, I'm, I'm learning things here. I'm learning things that I'm not learning in the Catholic Church. And... So kept up with the Bible study, and then a ministry, the Camp Pendleton ministry. That's up my alley, mm. Pendleton. And uh, so uh, this is good. This is good. And then finally, my last Mass was August 26, 2018. And the reason I'm saying this as a former practicing Catholic was the priest did not do a homily according to the Bible, he read a letter uh, pertaining to the abuses that were going on in the Catholic Church, and that was the whole homily. Then after the Mass, I saw a woman kissing a feet of a statue. But see, I used to do that too, a kissing a cross and, and what have you. And then that conviction was so hard in my heart, and God saying, now what are you going to do? I'm like, whoa, that's it, God, that's it. Uh, this is my last day. And he also convicted me, God convicted me. The oh, true intercessor is my son, Jesus Christ. Mm 
It is not Mary. It's not the rosary. It's not the saints. It is my son, Jesus Christ. You are a sinner, and the only way to get to me is through my son. So I gave up the Catholic Church, and I uh, participated in, in uh, well, I was already participating, <laughs> um, Compass Bible Church. And then all along the way, feeling the love and feeling, reading the word that, you know, I have no right to take my life, however hard it may be, that you give it to God. And I was so ashamed to go to family or anybody because I was afraid to be locked up. And then that would be worse if I would have got out. And uh, so I gave it to God, and God brings me more people to take care of because he reminded me what I said, the promise in Iraq, that I would take care of people if I got out alive. Well, I can't be dead and taking care of people. So he says, but I'm, I'm bringing you the potters. They're going to help you and help you with people and you to know what Christ is truly about, who God, God talking to me, who I am about. You're going to know the truth. You have to read my word. You have to do it every day. You have to repent daily. You sin every day. But through my son is to get to me. You have to have a relationship with me, with God. Only God. You give everything to God, even your life. But God, and God said, I take your life. You don't take your life. No matter how hard it gets, you give it to me. So... And so that was my journey. The fruits, oh, it's awesome. I'm still with uh, Compass Bible Church, Women's Bible Study. I've gone on two retreats. Mm. Women's, oh, it's great having this, this loving interaction. <laughs> and uh, Camp Pendleton Ministry. And uh, it's, it's just wonderful. Home Fellowship Group, um, John and Julie Goodrich. I mean, loving couple at uh, Jack and Jane Cusack's house. And they just celebrated 60 years. And Jane had a powerful testimony. So it gave me strength to give my testimony. Mm -hmm. And um, you can't hate. I came from the war hating. And you can't hate and love God. You cannot hate and love your neighbors. So he took the hate away from my heart. And I had, uh, in the meantime, forgiven my mother, who I hated for decades. And I love her. I love her to this day because God changed me. I hated other people, like my ex-husband. I don't hate him anymore. I don't hate people that did bad to me, did me wrong. That's no excuse for my behavior on the wrongdoings I was doing. I take responsibility, but I don't hate anymore. So I love everyone. I do. Thank you. That's awesome. There's a lot of talk in the Bible about people that are despairing of life. I mean, you think of so many people in Scripture that have just gotten to the end of their rope. Job, Elijah. I mean, just... That sense of, I, I can't do this anymore. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, but there's a kind of despair that Solomon spoke of in Ecclesiastes. That life under the sun just becomes completely meaningless when you see everything down here. 
mean, Christians can get to the place where they're just at the end of their rope and they have to cry out to God as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1. But when non-Christians get to the end of the rope, there's nowhere to go. There's nothing else. Um, you know, Solomon has to remind us as he lived in the mindset under the sun with no sense of God anchoring his purpose and meaning and significance of who he was. He had nothing. And that's why in chapter 12, Ecclesiastes drives us back to say, what matters is, is you and I fearing God and keeping his commandments. And his commandments are very clear, right? I mean, you really have painted a picture of things that clarify all the problems we have when we try to figure out what God is without his word guiding us, right? Think about it. I mean, you've quoted passages, you know, indirectly. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. I mean, the scripture says that clearly. And yet you can listen to religious leaders that they'll tell you something different. You can listen to religious leaders that say, all roads lead to heaven. I mean, a lot of people teach that, even behind pulpits today. And yet Jesus said, as you're quoting John, as Jesus said in John 14, he says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are things that we look to in Scripture because we understand there is a God. He's revealed himself and those commandments. What he has said, we have to submit ourselves to. And when we finally do, it changes our lives because we have to let go of that, let go of that, let go of that, adopt this, accept that, move in this direction. But it's the kind of reorienting of life that we all need. Christ needs to be the king in our lives. And what he says is what we are going to follow. And that's what brought you to this here. Someone could point to your life and go, oh, didn't you do all the water stuff you had to do in the old church, right? But no, no, no. What does the Bible say, right? The Bible says, make disciples, baptizing them. And so now as a disciple of Christ, you've come here to be obedient to Christ by being baptized. That's why it's my privilege to baptize you as Christ told us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jeff. How are you doing? Pretty good. Good, yeah. Well... It's a good thing you're doing. You may be doing pretty good, but this is really good what you're doing right here. Why don't you tell us a little of your story? Well, it's taken me about 37 years to get here Mm -hmm. and a trail of destruction behind me. Uh, I grew up in uh, uh, a Jewish home, uh, semi-Orthodox setting, and... uh, at a very young age, about eight years old, I uh, did realize that uh, Jesus was the Messiah. And it got me in a lot of trouble in Hebrew school. <laughs> uh, from there, uh, when I was 10, uh, my mother died, uh, and I was left with a father that wasn't really a father. Uh, kind of brought up in a in a what I would call a uh, fiddler on the roof faith, where it's like always striving after riches. Mm. And uh, so with that said, uh, uh, always looking to, you know, find a shortcut, trying to find a, a way to make money and, and uh, uh, just uh, looking at my dad and, and, and looking at that whole lifestyle, it's just... Uh, uh, I didn't really know anything different, but uh, when I uh, then when I met uh, uh, I met Stephanie, uh, uh, as you probably all know, Stephanie. Uh, <clears throat> we were uh, teenagers, and uh, uh, well, 
we got I got married uh, we got married around I was, I was 19 uh, about six seven months before uh, we got married she uh, she accepted Christ before I did uh, the difference was that hers her conversion pretty much stuck and mine was a very very up and down kind of parable of the soils type uh, uh, conversion up and down, up and down. And it's not like I haven't done anything. I've done a lot of things in Christ's name. I've gone all over the world, uh, into Ukraine, smuggled papers out for unjustly uh, prisoned uh, Christians, all kinds of stuff. Uh, but the one, the, the one thing, the one difference is that I, I never surrendered. There was just really never surrendered. I, I couldn't really get a handle on that. So I was always trying to do things in my, my own strength. And uh, going back to making money and doing, doing things uh, that uh, I knew probably wasn't right. And my wife was like, if, if it works, if, if you prosper in this, I'll burn my Bible. Mm. And of course, it never, nothing ever prospered. Mm. But that didn't stop me from going on to the next venture. And I'm a hard case, so uh, I never really uh, got to that point. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's that destruction, that, uh, that trail of destruction, relationships, uh, not being the, uh, the husband that I needed to be not being the father that I needed to be, uh, that's, that's a hard thing. So, well, let's see, probably two years ago, uh, I was in a place, in a very dark, dark place. I won't go into details, but knowing me, I'm pretty extreme. And uh, you called me out. My wife called me out. My kids called me out. And uh, I had to make uh, that decision. If I would have went the other way, uh, I probably would have been handed over to the devil for destruction. Mm -hmm. But that's not the case. So thank God for that. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I, I answered the call. I answered, answered the call. It, it was very, very clear to me. Uh, and it was just time to stop playing games. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of another young Jewish man who had his sights set on riches in Matthew 19, it's so hard for us, and if it weren't for Christ being there with that rich young ruler, you could have probably had that rich young ruler join the crowd, that growing band of disciples, right? But Christ, of course, looking right through where he felt, where he was, what his priorities was, were what his God was. He says to him, I'm going to ask you to do something. Of course, Christ knew he wasn't going to be able to do it. He said, give up your stuff and follow me. Sell everything you have and follow me. And in a moment, right, Christ revealed, took a lot of time for God to reveal in your heart. Absolutely. But it's like, okay, I can't, as Jesus said, I can't, I can't serve myself and money and mammon and all the things that go and you both they just can't you're going to love the one and hate the other and by God's grace bringing that into sharp focus to see that 
conflict, God in his goodness reached down and was able to have that moment where, as the rich young ruler turned and walked away, and it hurt Christ. It says Jesus looked at him and loved him and yet walked away. It's good to have a story where you got someone like that who doesn't walk away. And God brought that journey, that, that story, that development of God's work in your life to that point. And you've seen a big difference since then, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, God is merciful uh, with, with all that I've been through and, and uh, all that. Uh, uh, I mean, it's definitely evident that God has had his hand on my life and keeping me uh, uh, safe in so many situations. Uh, that's it's very evident in my life. But the difference is that through all those years of just playing games up and down, there was never really any uh, fruit. I was, and there, nobody, nobody would uh, really ever call me out on it either. I'm not like the type of person that people would come up to me and, and, and kind of rail on me. They wouldn't, nobody really kind of would do that. Um, uh, but you did. I did. <laughs> And, uh, and that's good because you're the one person I respect that, you know, that could, that, you know, that could do that. Uh, I could have very ended up, uh, like my brother. I mean, my brother was on the, was on that path and, and he lost his life. He took his life in May. So, uh, he knew everything and you knew him very well. Uh, so the games, you know, just have to stop. Uh, and that's just, uh, just what happened. The fruit, there was never any fruit really in my life. If anything, it was just my wife carrying the family because of her, you know, being obedient. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was, you know, there was good times through it, but they were very short-lived. And, uh, uh, and when, they, when those little times ended, it was disappointing. So there was a lot of disappointment right. as well. But uh, uh, the difference also is that uh, the word, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's huge. It's, uh, it's clear, yeah. uh, very clear and uh, able to make sense of it. And, uh, and uh, God give me the strength to just uh, be obedient. Yeah. And you know, that's a great line in second Corinthians about the veil coming off, right? You can see early in first Corinthians, Paul says it's, it's, it's spiritually appraised truths that cannot be spiritually discerned unless there's spiritual life. And here's a guy that had been around the Bible for years, decades, and finally a new relationship with the truth of God's word. Richard, that's a great testimony. And based on that testimony, it's my privilege to baptize you as Christ told us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks. Nice and warm, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's really warm. Yeah, a little, a little too warm, maybe, but uh, it's all right. I shouldn't have said that. It's perfect. By the next service, it'll be perfect. Yeah. No, it feels nice. Feels good. Yeah. How are you, Jacqueline? I'm good. good. I'm happy to be here. Are you nervous? No. No. Okay. Yeah, I am. When you rolled your eyes and said that, I, I, I sense sarcasm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. No, um, I'm good. I'm but, good. Well, tell us your story. All right. So I grew up Catholic. Um, I knew who Jesus was and I knew his stories, um, but I didn't have a relationship with Christ. 
um, I thought just going to church and knowing him was good enough. So I started to live in sin, and I started to do things my way. Um, when I was 19, I started to get into a lot of trouble. I was partying a lot. I had a fake ID. I was running off to Vegas when I was 19. Mm. I um, was, you know, drinking, doing drugs, and... I even got arrested for stealing as an adult. Mm. So that was uh, that was kind of my the theme of my life for a really long time. Um, in my 20s, I tried to run away from everything uh, because sin has consequences. So I, you know, I thought I could just start over. So I moved to Seattle, and in Seattle, nothing changed. I was still doing the same things, except for now I was alone in a different state. Um, so one night, I remember laying in bed, and I had this overwhelming darkness um, in my soul. I, I felt like anything that was good or holy, like I, I had been separated from that. Um, and it was really terrifying. It was really scary. I didn't, I didn't know what it, what it meant, and I just knew something was wrong. Um, so a friend of mine who is a Christian had given me a Bible, and I brought it with me to Seattle, um, which is really weird because I've never intentionally opened a Bible, mm. but I brought it with me all the way to Seattle, and uh, I started to read it. And I realized that I wasn't right with God. Um, I wasn't even close. I wasn't even a good person. Um, I was a sinner, and I needed a Savior, mm. and that person was Jesus. Mm. And um, I knew that he bore all my sins that I've ever done, and he took my place on the cross, and I can be made right with God mm. and be forgiven. So I cried, and I confessed my sins, mm. and I repented, um, and I came back home to California. Mm. When I got back uh, to California, um, I still struggled. I was still, I was still trying to... Um, I was trying to walk the Christian walk, but I was also like holding on really tightly to um, the old me. I wanted to have Jesus, and I wanted to have, you know, the old Jackie still. I thought I could have both, and so I was trying to like control certain areas of my life. I still wanted to party a little bit, but I thought, okay, well, you know, if I'm just drinking maybe alone, it's just you know I'm not hurting anyone. It's I'm just hurting myself. Um, it can't be a sin. Um, and I convinced myself that that was okay. Um, but I, it obviously wasn't. I was trying, I was calling myself a Christian, but I was still doing all these things that I used to do. And, um, and it, it didn't work. I, I was lying to people about what I was doing because I was so guilty and ashamed of what I was doing. Um, I stopped coming to Compass because I was like, I, I'm a hypocrite. Like, I'm not even a Christian. Uh, I can't call myself a Christian. I'm, I was hungover and I was drunk on the streets the other day. Like, that's not, you know, how could I call myself a Christian? Um, and so finally, I found myself broken after two years of, of trying to, you know, have God and have the world. Um, I was done. I was broken, and I was, I was like, you know what? I'm done, Lord. Like, I don't know what, what this will look like. I don't know who I will be. Um, I don't know, like, am I going to lose friends and, and my identity? Because I, I held on so tightly to, 
you know, that, that person that I was, and I didn't know who I would be anymore. Um, what does a Christian look like? Am I cool? Am I popular? Like I, I was so scared to lose that. And, um, and I'm so glad I did because, um, I started coming back to Compass. I, I gave my life to Christ and I trusted in him. I trust that he, that he was going to guide my life. And he has. He's brought me to Compass. I'm in the women's Bible study. I've made new friends. Mm. I have a lot of new friends. And I have a really big family here. And um, I'm so excited that I could be baptized into this family. That's good. Yeah. You know, the Bible talks about how we are just by nature wanting to get just enough of Christ to maybe make us feel like we're okay if we were to die. So we want to keep a foot in the world. We want to keep a foot in the church. And you are a testament to the fact that that does not work. Mm-mm. That is not going to be a, a time or a place um, that you have a sense of peace. You can't have a foot in both worlds. But to grapple with is Luke 14 says that sense of, am I going to let Christ be Christ? Am I going to be willing to give up whatever it is that I want to hang on to? Uh, that's a transformative thing and so freeing, Right. I mean, you let go of things you think, well, I got to have these things and God changes everything from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And you know that. And we still think you're kind of (laughs) cool. The other Jackie even said I was cool. Yeah. Did you hear that? Yeah. Did you laugh back back there? I thought it was funny. You thought it was funny. (laughs) So did everyone else. But Jackie, we appreciate that testimony because we know it probably speaks to people that are here or listening online that are right now where you were. And uh, I know that you would tell them that's not a place you want to be Mm -mm. and you don't want to stay there. And so we're grateful for that testimony, Jackie, and it's based on that, that it's my privilege to baptize you as Christ commanded in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You? Nervous? No. Should she be nervous? No. They say no. And I'll say no. So don't be nervous. Yeah. Tell us a little of your story. Um, well, I grew up like a Catholic, but I didn't practice it. And so growing up as a teenager, I believe in my own God, just mixed of relations. And um, then when my daughter was five, she liked the boy. so. <laughs> We, she liked the boy that was Mormon, and so I told her, well, let's look at the difference between Catholics and Mormons. So um, looking to the difference, I realized that Catholicism wasn't really the origin of God, that then Mormonism wasn't either. So I realized that God was um, the one in the Bible only, and the Catholics practice different things, so it opened up my eyes, but I still didn't go, didn't go anywhere. And then my sister came to live with me, and she wanted to go to church, so I went with her, and I wanted Destiny and my daughter, youngest daughter, to grow up on a church too. So um, soon later, soon after that, my oldest daughter asked me to get baptized, and. So I did, but I didn't know what it was or what it meant. And uh, the day of my baptism, what a baptism, I just grabbed the Bible and and they had a prayer on the back of it. So I did it and I said, okay, I'm just safe now. Mm -hmm. And so when I went, no one asked me anything. 
and they put me into the water, just um, did a quick prayer for me, and then submerged me, and that was it. And so um, I continued to live my life my way, but I was prideful, thinking I was right with God. And um, so I kept on living my way, and then three years ago, when one of my family members got sick, I realized that God had control of everything. And uh, and with his help, she got the operation, sorry. <laughs> and so that's when I started realizing how much God was doing for us. And so um, um, after she got the operation, I continued to um, question myself about my salvation, and then my oldest daughter came up and told me that she realized she wasn't saved when she got baptized in water. And that's when I realized I wasn't either. And then I saw um, um, Charles, I don't know her name, Charles Hubbard, mm. um, baptized here. Mm. And uh, so that also woke me up and saying, okay, my water baptism did nothing for me. I was still a sinner. And, um, and uh, I was not just, I was doing my own interpretation of salvation. And so I still brushed it off, even though I was getting knocked right, right on my face. Mm. And um, so he continued to using my relationship with my husband. And um, I got counseling with Nancy, Pastor Lucas. Mm. He was tough to me, mm. <laughs> but that helped me. Mm. And um, I, he also got teaching from Stephanie Swartz, so that was a big wake-up with me, too. And he used Elizabeth, a lady that comes to church in the Book of Hosea, to let me know that um, who, was my, who was my helper, who gave me everything I have, and, um, and how wrong I was with my walk. Mm. And um, so that's when I realized that I wasn't right with him, mm. sorry. <laughs> and I was just um, pretending to be saved. And that was hard for me to come to that realization that I was still a sinner and that I wasn't putting my faith in Jesus. And uh, knowing how much God loved me because he brought his only son to live the life I couldn't live. That he paid the price of my sins, even though he was sinless. And he loved us so much that, um, sorry, that he gave himself in, in, and gave himself to God's will, as Matthew 26, 39 says. Mm-hmm. Um, and going a little further, he found his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be for, if it be possible, let this cup pass away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but as you will. So even though he was going to die from our sins, he still did God's will. Sinless as he was, he went to the cross and paid my my price and gave up his own 
his own status and his own, he gave up heaven. Mm -hmm. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says that, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> Let me say this. Your story, I think, is so helpful in part because I know that it's like, be like two like third graders getting dragged to a wedding, watching a wedding of two people committing their lives to each other, and then they go back to their neighborhood, and one day on a Saturday, they're like, let's, let's do that. That was cool. And they, he gets some flowers, and you know he buttons his top button, and they pretend they're going to go through what they saw at the wedding last weekend. There are people in this tank that stand up and speak to the true commitment of their heart to Christ. And some people out there, particularly some that think, hey, that seems right. I, I want to go through that. And, and I believe in God. They come and like you did, they go through the ceremony, but their heart is not what your heart is now. When someone prayed for you and dumped you, dunked you in the water, that's different than the heart of your love for Christ that you're expressing now. That's night and day. It's the difference between going through the motions like a child reflecting something they saw and someone who's sincerely in love with Christ, sorry for their sins, and recognize what it is to trust him and follow him. And, and that is so meaningful and so important because some people out there, certainly some that grow up in a religious system where there's a lot of box checking, well, did that, did that, did that. They come to a Bible teaching church. They say, well, if I got to do that, I'll, I'll do that. And it's not just checking a box, right? This is about your heart. And now that you're here with a heart that loves Christ, that understands the problem of sin, this is a baptism that really is an expression of what the Bible says in Matthew 28. Mm -hmm. You love Christ. People have seen the difference in your life, have they not? Yeah. Things from the inside now that are serious. I think about, you talk about uh, Catholicism. That's been a theme throughout this morning, it seems. I'm surprised there are any Catholics left in Orange County. But... Uh, um, you know, people think, well, they, they, they pray to the same Jesus as we do. But you do recognize, uh, Tyndale said it well, as, as this early light in the Reformation. He said, if a, a plowboy can just read the Bible, right, and know what it says and respond rightly to it, he'll be more informed than all the, you know, all the cardinals in Rome. I mean, you, 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 it's the word of God. It's not the tradition of man. It's the truth of God's word. It's not just what a church tells you. And we've got to get back to that. And you said the Bible alone. That was the cry of a whole group of people 500 years ago in Latin. Sola Scriptura. We've got to get back to what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. And that's what's gotten a hold of your heart and your life. It's one of the reasons, I guess, we have so many folks coming out of religious systems that have been taught to believe what their church says versus what the Bible says. As the great philosopher and apologist Francis Schaeffer said, we have two foundational presuppositions that God exists and that he's revealed himself, right? I mean, those are logical, reasonable presuppositions. And if you believe that God exists and he's revealed himself, and if that revelation is this book, right, then we follow what it says. And he's called you to repent and trust in Christ. And that's changed your life. Yeah. And you're here and have expressed your love for Christ. Yeah. 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 And uh, we're excited and based on that testimony, it's my privilege to baptize you as Christ told us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How you doing? Very good. Thank good. you. Good to see you.
good to be here. Now, I heard you signed up for last time, but we didn't have your number Dang. right in our database, yeah. so you had to wait a little bit. Yeah, like eight months about. Yeah, that's yeah. weird. <laughs> but uh, we know God knows what he's doing, so you're here today, probably because God had to put the pieces in place. There's probably someone here needs to hear your story, so let's hear a little of that story. Of course. So I was raised in a Christian home, two Christian parents that taught me the Bible from a very young age. So I knew all the stories. I knew all the answers to Bible questions. All my closest friends were from church. And because of this, I thought that I was solid in my faith. And I thought I could call myself a Christian and not think twice about it. Uh, When I was nine years old, I had a, a fake conversion where I had this devotional book I would read every night as a kid. And that night's devotional said that if you prayed a prayer, if you asked Jesus into your heart, he would save you and you would escape hell, and you would go to to heaven with Christ for eternity. And as a nine-year-old boy, that was a pretty sweet deal. I got to say, you know, a couple empty words and just escape the punishment of hell. And without thinking twice about it, I said the prayer, went to bed, and I thought I was saved. And I had, you know, a couple days of brief repentance where I thought that, oh, I'm, you know, I feel so bad over my sin. I'm I have a relationship with Jesus now, but after just a couple of days, I just went back into my old sinful habits. And my sin just continued to increase and to grow. Um, as I grew older, I began to push away the Bible and push away church. Um, when my family would do Bible studies, I would close my mind, I would close my heart because I didn't want to hear the things I'd heard so many times before. Uh, I saw Christianity as an obstacle to the things I wanted to do. I wanted to party. I wanted drugs. I wanted to just rebel. I just wanted to live like the world. And I saw the faith that my parents were putting on me as an obstacle to that. And I would mask all this with a Christian facade so I could get what I wanted at home. And this sin reached its peak around summer of 2019, where I was just constantly lying to my parents. I was dishonoring God with my words and the things that I was saying. And I was carrying out an ungodly relationship with my girlfriend. And it was in the middle of this sin, and I was just, I was headfirst in it. I was, you know, uh, there was really no way out at that point. One night I was just in my room, and out of nowhere came this really clear thought and uh, realization that if I kept going the way I was going, I was going to suffer the consequences, and God was going to take things away from me. Um, You know, I'd just seen it so many times in the Bible through Kings, how those who obey get blessings, those, those who disobey suffer the wrath of God. And I, I just knew in that moment that I could not keep living that way, or I would, you know, God being a just judge would not let me uh, get away scot-free. So after a couple of weeks of having this thought just in my head, I, I prayed, I submitted my life to Christ, I repented truly of the sin that I was, I was living, and I placed my faith in Christ. And this past year has been truly amazing because I've gotten to find a new love for Scripture, for the Bible. I read it because I want to know more about truth. I want to know my Creator, and I want to study the, the basis for the faith, uh, the apologetics behind it. I want to study the, the history. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I just want to know more about God and know His will for my life. Mm-hmm. Um, my relationship with my friends, with my family, with my girlfriend, they've changed dramatically because I used to just serve myself and try to get things my way. But now I know that by honoring God, 
I get to honor God through serving them. And I've just really changed the way I view my relationships with people, not only them, but here at church as well. And I've had the privilege of, of serving here at church and using the talents and the gifts that God has given me to serve His kingdom and just utilize those things, those resources I've been given just to bring more people to Christ and share that hope that I've been able to, to receive just out of God's grace because I know that I was just going, I was going straight towards hell. And that night, I don't know what it was. I know it was just the, the grace of God mm-hmm. that showed me that I had to repent and place my, tra- my, my faith in Him. And I want to get baptized today as an act of obedience towards the Scripture and what He says. That's awesome. There's uh, two phrases in the Bible that came to mind as you were telling your story, and that is, number one, the deceitfulness of sin, right? It's so deceitful. I mean, it's, it's offering us something that only by God's grace we see it's not going to deliver, mm-hmm. right? Um, that deceitfulness of sin. And the other phrase is the passing pleasures of sin. The only reason it works is because there's some temporal pleasure in it, right? There is something there. Mm-hmm. As if sin would have no customers if it weren't delivering something. It's just that it's deceitful. And the Bible talks about temptation like a hook that's baited. You go for the bait, but there's a hook in it. And the hook is the coming judgment of God. And there's no way around that. You talk about the kings, you know, that we study in mm-hmm. Scripture. And you see, I mean, you don't get away with this for long. You take the bait and then the hook pierces your life in some way. And that's all temporal in this life. What really matters is are we going to get the hook of our judgment on the other side and have the assurance that God has forgiven all of that. I mean, that changes everything. And we certainly need, Juan, people like you who are going to study the Word, study apologetics, be able to understand and rationally communicate clearly to our generation, as the Bible says, that we have a reason for the hope that's within us. So this church is going to be praying for you. We're proud of you coming and sharing your story. And based on your testimony, Juan, it's my privilege to baptize you as Christ told us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you. One day we're going to get one with an escalator. <laughs> For us old people. Yeah. We can't figure out the electricity part, but we're... Yeah. yeah. Seriously, one day we need to build a, a, a baptismal like that is really, I don't know, good. Easy to get into. Yeah, I can, fit, I can envision it in my mind. And uh, yeah, one day. So we'll just we'll have to add that to Compass 2020 and see if we can get, uh, right. get that happening. So anyway, enough about that. Tell us about your story. So let's start with, um, I was brought up in a Christian home, um, brought up in the church, um, came to, um, gave my heart to Jesus when I was young, um, was baptized when I was in high school, served in the church, was active in the church. And then uh, when I got into college, um, turned my back on God, on my faith, um, lived a life of sin, um, just looking to satisfy that hole in my heart and just kept looking, living. And of course, that satisfaction never came um, because I already knew what was the right thing to do, but yet I was rebelling against God and living that kind of life that of sin, following my fleshly passions. And God, in his mercy, drew me to, to my knees and brought me back to him and repented completely. And it was several years after that, and I completely repented to him. And that was my point of turning to him. 
and uh, so lived in uh, just trying to please God and, and serve him um, through the years. And I never really thought about being baptized again after that. And it was until I came here and being under your teaching and realizing that that's how God calls us to repentance and then following the repentance is the obedience of baptism. And I just kept pushing it back, pushing it back because I'm serving in church. And I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm good with God and all this. And God just, the Holy Spirit just kept bringing that back to me. And it wasn't that it was just like you were saying, just checking the box, but it was just a matter of obedience. And the last few weeks have just been really that pressure has been on my heart, especially when you were preaching on the soils and knowing that back then when I was baptized, I was really the third soil, which was not saved, where I allowed the world to crush everything mm -hmm. in. So just, um, you know, 40 late years later, <laughs> you know, yeah. in obedience to God, I just want to yeah. be obedient in every area of my life, including being baptized. And there's two things we often talk about. We talk about timing and mode, right? There's a lot of people that think that sprinkling is baptism, but mm -hmm. it's not. Baptism is immersion, right? To be submerged into water mm -hmm. as the sign. And and then timing, which I think a lot of people struggle with because they think, well, I, I had some baptism. Some mm -hmm. even have been mm -hmm. submerged, you know, you know, at 19, at 20. And, right. and they think, well, I became a Christian later, but I've already yeah. done that. But, mm -hmm. you know, I like to say you didn't get baptized. You just got wet. <laughs> because you're right, you really haven't done what yeah. the Bible asks you to do. And you know that. And that's always been in the back of your mind. Yes. And now it's in the front of your mind. <laughs> now it's in the front of your face. Yes. Right? Because here you are to be yes. baptized today. And it is a privilege based on that. And it's going to be encouragement and a motivation and a challenge to many, I'm sure, for that story. To baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hi, guys. <laughs> How are you? I'm great. Are you? That's good. Are you nervous? Yeah, a little bit. Should she be nervous? No. Are you going to hurt her? No. No? You're not going to throw anything at her? No. Right? So they say you shouldn't be nervous because they're going to be nice to you. All right. So we're done with nervousness, right? Yeah. We'll try. Tell us a little of your story. All right. Um, so I, like a lot of people at this church, um, I was born and raised in a Christian family um, with my wonderful Christian parents that are sitting right there. Um, and from a very young age, um, I established a reputation um, of being the good Christian kid that knew all the stories, knew all the answers, got all the Bible books. Um, I knew that God was creator. I knew that he was just. Um, but I didn't really think I had a problem with God. I didn't think that I... How many Bible bucks did you amass <laughs> at one time? Oh. Did you ever come into to the Bible buck store like with a giant stack of them? Yeah, I had, um, I think the highest amount that I ever had was probably like 1,200. 1,200 Bible mm. bucks? Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. I just want to clarify. <laughs> yeah, that's an important detail. Well, it's an interesting detail. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so what was the best thing you ever bought at the Bible Buck store? Oh, man. <laughs> um, I bought a lot of candy, that's for sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I would buy. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Good times. And I can say I've never pilfered the Bible Buck store. <laughs> I've thought about it. I've seen it set up there. But I've left that all for you guys. <laughs> but that was a long time ago. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> you got a lot of Bible bucks. You did all the stuff. Mm -hmm. Then what happened? Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't think I had a problem with God. I thought that um, I was good enough on my own. I did good things. Uh, I was nice to people. I was never intentionally um, rude to people. 
So I thought that that was enough. Um, so I was pretty much filled with a lot of pride. Um, I remember having this thought in The Edge where we were learning about um, some like unlikely Bible heroes. And I remember thinking, man, that's kind of unfair that God only chooses the unworthy people because, I mean, then he's never going to choose me. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that was, that was pretty much the extent of how incredibly prideful I was. Um, so for the, I heard the gospel for the first time in The Edge. Um, it was laid out in front of me, and I thought, like, cool, I, I already know this. I'm good. Um, I know that Jesus died for me, um, that if I, you know, trust in him, then I can go to heaven. And I thought, yeah, I do trust in him. I believe what he said is true. I believe that he died um, and rose again, so I'm good. Um, and I never really had a problem um, with the gospel, I thought, yeah, that's that sounds good. Um, but the one thing that I didn't I didn't really have was a real happiness. Um, I found temporary happiness in sort of the worldly friendships that I had. Um, but when I started um, middle school, um, sorry, um, God allowed those friendships to be taken away from me, and I was alone. So I went through my um, first year of middle school with no friends, um, just kind of spiraled into a really, really deep d depression, um, developed some really serious anxiety, um, just because I thought, like, why is this happening to me? I'm a good kid. Why is this happening? I don't deserve this. Um, yeah, and so I was just in a really dark spot. Um, I honestly, I just wished I was dead, to be honest, because um, I couldn't take the loneliness. I couldn't take um, the hopelessness that I felt. Um, and it got so bad to where I would start like pulling out my hair. I wouldn't change my clothes. I wouldn't shower. It was really bad. Um, so I kind of had these fake confessions of faith at edge camps. Um, to where I would have an emotional response to the gospel when it was laid out, um, but nothing ever really changed. I kept living my same life full of pride. Um, I never um, thought that I had a problem. I just was scared of hell, and I didn't want to go there. Um, but um, the summer of seventh grade, I was reading a book, and the funny thing is I don't, I don't even remember what the book was called or what it was about. Um, but I do remember at the very end of it, um, it laid out the gospel um, once again. And that time, reading it, something clicked in my mind. And I, for the first time, I felt the weight of my sins. And I, I realized that, man, I, I'm not good enough. Like, everything good that I could possibly do, it's ultimately not going to make me right before God. And that was really scary for me. And... Um, I realized, like, if I died right then, then I would be cast into God's eternal judgment um, and feel that same, even worse isolation than I felt um, in that moment. And so that really, that really terrified me. Um, but then as I kept reading, um, I read about the good news uh, that Jesus sent his son um, to pay for the price that I, I was going, supposed to pay, um, that he died on the cross and bore the weight of my sins. 
and that if I trusted in him and repented of my sins, turned away from all the pride that I had and all the other sins that I was committing on a daily basis, that um, I wouldn't have to go to hell, that uh, I could go to heaven and spend eternity with God. Um, And that was something I really wanted. And at that moment, I was kind of at rock bottom where I didn't have anywhere else to go. I didn't have any friends to turn to. Um, So I decided in that moment that um, the way to solve my problems was God. Um, And so in that moment, I prayed to God and I begged him to please forgive me of all the wrong I've done, um, of all the years that I'd faked being a Christian, um, just to keep up my like good kid reputation. Um, And so in that moment, I promised him that I would I would do my best to turn away from my sins and that I would follow after him and try to lead others to him as well. Um, So that's that's when I was saved. And since then, um, there's been a really dramatic change. Um, My pride has gone down a lot, um, and I've become so much more reliant on God for everything. Um, And it certainly hasn't been easy. Um, I got got bullied in middle school because of my religion, and that was really hard. Um, But God allowed me to form these great Christian friendships at church, um, and so that's really, that really helped me get through it. and I had to transfer schools sophomore year, um, and that was pretty hard too. But God has given me so many opportunities that I never would have had uh, if I stayed at my old school. Um, and he's just allowed me to lean on him and trust in him for everything, um, which has allowed me to have this inexplicable joy um, that you, you can't really have if you're not a Christian, because nothing in this world ultimately is going to bring you that joy, because um, it's, only, it's only found in Christ. That's great. There's a church that's built near the site believed to be where Christ was born in Bethlehem. It's called the Church in the Nativity. And there was a time when um, it was been through so many things, assaults, and they would have soldiers that would ride into the church through the big archway in the front door and disrupt services and so at one point, they took this big doorway that was there, and they bricked it up, all except for a little portal. So you couldn't ride your horse into the church. You couldn't, uh, actually, you couldn't even walk standing up into the church. You had to bow down to get through the front door of the church. And I've thought about that, having gone through that portal a handful of times, and to think about the fact that you cannot keep your pride and walk into a relationship with God. You just can't. In John 9, when Jesus healed the blind man, the Pharisees were getting the point that he was condemning them, that they were sinners. And they said to Jesus, you're not saying that we're blind, are you? And he said, if you were blind, then you'd see, right? But as long as you think you're seeing, well, then you're going to remain blind. Jesus tells that parable. It's the first time he used the word justification in scripture. He talks about that, that Pharisee who stood by and said, I'm glad I'm not like other people. And then there was that tax collector who wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. And he said, have mercy on me as he beat his chest, a sinner. And Jesus said, that one went home justified. Justified, what a great word that God takes us with all of our imperfections and lack. And he treats us as though we're righteous in Christ. You cannot have that without humility. You can't do that without bowing. You can't walk into the presence of God in a relationship without that humility of knowing our sin. And that 
is I know where some people are. Matter of fact, some people probably pitied you when you said all that, thinking, why do you have to, you know, be so humble? You're a great gal. I mean, why do you have to feel like you're a sinner? They don't understand that you cannot have relations with God, right, without coming in contrition and humility and realizing like that tax collector, we're sinners, right? That's just such a great testimony to what everyone needs to hear about conversion to Christ. And we know there's been a lot of changes in your life. Your family's seen it. People in your life have seen it. And you've come here in obedience to Christ to be baptized. So Hannah, based on that testimony, it's my privilege to baptize you as Christ told us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Timing doesn't always work out, but it's great to see couples getting baptized here at the same time. So I don't know who wants to go first, but step up here and do I have a choice? <laughs> um, so I grew up in a mostly uh, Christian home, went to church pretty regularly, prayed, and for a long time thought that was enough. You know, I thought, oh, I'm a good person. I'll go to heaven. You know, I'll be okay. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Um, we got married, we ended up moving down here and coming to Compass. It was like, oh, it's down the street, you know, let's go. And to be honest, the first couple of your sermons I wasn't the biggest fan of. Yeah. No offense. <laughs> but Someone called me cool in the last service. And I knew, you know, they just need to talk to people like you to realize that most, most people don't have that response. So yes, right. It was a little tough to handle. Very tough to handle. Yeah. Very yeah. tough. Um, but I kind of... I wouldn't say shrugged it off. But I'm like, oh, it, it's, he's, you know, I'm fine. I'm good. He's not talking to me directly. It's not a big deal. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, then we started going to Thrive and learning more. Um, and then we went to dinner at one of our Thrive leaders' house. And they offered to take both Stephanie and I through um, partners. Mm -hmm. And I said yes. I was like, well, why in my head? Why am I saying yes? I, I'm a Christian. I don't need to be doing this. I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. It's not a big deal. I was wrong. <laughs> Halfway through chapter one, I realized, oh, no, I don't have this right. I maybe, I understand that God is important, but I'm not repenting for my sins. I don't feel the weight of the sins. Um, and I realized why I thought I didn't like your service was because I was being convicted. Mm. God was letting me know, hey, you know, you need to fix this. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, I was just uh, having that moment to understand that I was wrong, but I could fix it. It was not, you know, you know, I could fix it when I wanted to do, and that was I wanted to fix it right then and there. Mm. There was no more need to continue living this fake life. Yeah, it wasn't gonna do me any good. Um, so since that moment, um, church has become more of a joy. It's been, you know, I've I look forward to it. it. Used to be kind of a burden. Yeah. Now I have to look forward to your services. I look forward to thrive. I look right. forward to, um, you know, just any time we can get involved. I, I enjoy it. And I see that just past church in my life. Um, I'm more patient with my wife, with her new son. Um, I'm much more able to help her when she's struggling with something to just calm her down yeah. and, and talk her through it. And that's because I was able to come to Christ correctly yeah. in the right way. And oh, I'm so awesome. grateful for it. So often in scripture, it talks about the fact when there's a conversion, a real genuine heart change, we begin to desire the Bible like milk, like a baby wants milk. You know, before that, we're kind of choking on sermons. But if we really, if it's a biblical sermon, the idea of just longing for that and maybe going from tough to handle to maybe even cool, maybe. Almost. Oh, no, de definitely. Yeah. Okay. You, you that now. I'll give that to you. I said I'm only cool to Bible nerds. So I guess that makes you a nerd. If I'll take I, that. If I'm cool. I'll take so, that. I'm fine with that. No, but what a good thing to see that. And some of you haven't had that experience. You don't know what it is to have that realization of 
the fact that you need Christ because of a sin, because sin in your life, and to have that repentance and faith, that changes everything in your relationship to the, to the Bible. And that's just a great testimony of that, Michael. We appreciate that. Stephanie, tell us a little of your story. <laughs> Um, okay, so much like Michael, I was raised as a Christian. Um, I went to church with my family, and we would, or I would go to vacation Bible school every summer, too, growing up. Um, as I got a little older, I even volunteered at that school as an assistant leader. Um, I would go home and pray at night, but that was really it. Um, as you've said in so many of your sermons, I figured I was a good person, and that was enough. Um, but I did always have this sense of just not feeling connected and not having my heart in the right place. Um, I went on for most of um, all of my teenage years in my early 20s thinking I was okay. Um, and then actually just a couple of years ago through the process of taking care of my mom after she was in a um, bad accident, I came to this place of true repentance and faith. Um, and I just knew I needed to stop living for myself and I wanted to live for him. Um, and ever since that moment, I like Michael, I mean, church was fun. It was something I would always schedule other things around mm -hmm. instead of the opposite. Um, I wanted to get more involved. Um, I, I originally started coming to events here before we even attended Compass, the women's tea and coffee, which were really, they just spoke to me every time and were so convicting. Um, and just, I love church getting involved. As Michael said, we went to Thrive and um, really finally connected with people in church. We connected with so many couples that are in the same, they say, life stage as us, couples who had recently gotten married, and it just was so amazing. And um, just ever since then, I've truly stopped living for myself. And like Second Corinthians says, I truly believe I'm a new creation. Yeah. And um, I think it's made me a better wife and a better mother to our right. wonderful son. Yes, so you I'm got just... a brand new son. Tell us about him. <laughs> so he's actually right there. <laughs> Six months old. <laughs> um, uh, his name's John, and uh, he means the world to us. Yeah. And we're so excited to also go through the steps so he can hopefully go through it one day himself, and we right. can just raise him in the word yeah. and... Hopefully, you can come to this point one day like us. Yeah, and you know, it's funny, Stephanie, when you become a Christian and then you have a child, the, the whole goal is just changed, right? I mean, most parents, they just want my kids to be happy and, you know, get what they want in life. And, and you know that there's nothing more important than John coming to faith in Christ, mm -hmm. right? I'm sure that's your ardent prayer. And I just hope God uh, keeps you here local here in SoCal and one day we can see him in this tank getting baptized and professing faith in Christ. Interesting, too, you talk about uh, the accident and the pain in your family. Sometimes God needs to kind of get that crisis of some form in our lives to get our attention, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Lewis talked about, C.S. Lewis talked about the fact that, you know, God can, can whisper to us, you know, in our, in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. And when you see the frailty of life, you see trauma and difficulty and pain, Sometimes it's just great to stop and say, wait a minute, where am I with God? And uh, so sometimes the difficulties are blessings in disguise because God's getting our hearts straightened out with God. So yeah. that's awesome. We are excited for you guys. So glad you're part of our uh, Thrive, our Young Marrieds group, and that you're here testifying to your faith in Christ. And in this little tiny tank, we're going to try to <laughs> baptize you both one at a time. Let's start with you, Michael, based on that testimony. It's a privilege to baptize you as Christ told us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
And Stephanie, also privileged to baptize you based on your testimony of faith in Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Emily, how are you? I'm good. Good to see you. Me too. Water's kind of warm. It is. Feels good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And um, are you nervous? Yeah. A little bit? Yeah. Should she be nervous? <laughs> no, they don't think you should be nervous. They're, they're very pro-baptism. They're, mm-hmm. they're liking you getting baptized here. Emily, tell us a little of your story. Um, so when my family and I first started coming to Compass, that's when I really heard the full gospel. Um, before I was saved, I would try to find um, joy and satisfaction and comfort in boys, in entertainment like YouTube and that type of stuff, and in food and basically anything other than God I would turn to. Um, and during that time, I was also going through um, really bad depression because I knew I wasn't right with God. Um, I knew I didn't have a relationship with him. Um, But it was also through that season that God showed me really just how empty everything in this world is and how I can never really find joy or true comfort Um, or satisfaction in this world. Um, And so at Revival, um, that's when I really gave my life to Christ. I put my faith in Him, repented, and committed my life to Him. A summer revival or winter revival? A summer revival. What was the theme that year? Uh, it was the apocalypse one. Yeah, the apocalypse, yeah. right? Yeah, I um, didn't pick that name, but that was a that was a big one. The apocalypse, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I was talking about the end times. Yeah, it was yeah. heavy. Yeah, it was heavy. <laughs> yeah, the end times are heavy. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So God started working on you yeah. there and yeah. brought you to faith in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. was that like? Um, it was crazy, yeah. really. Um. Yeah, I don't really know how to like well, explain it. But. The scripture talks about how sometimes um, we have that sense of our blindness, as John 9 mm-hmm. says, and then the kind of the, the scales fall off our eyes. We get to see things we never saw before. I'm sure after that encounter, there was a whole different perspective on life that you yeah. had. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, things have changed in your life since then, yeah. haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Um. Wait, what was the question? I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, you talked about joy. You can't find yeah. joy in things yeah. in the world. Think about Ecclesiastes. There's, there's this sense of Solomon saying, under the sun, you can have all the stuff you want, but it's not the way God designed us to live. Christ said, I came that your joy can be full, right? That you can have a relationship with your creator. And we all long for that deep down somewhere, but uh, we can't find it by stuff in our life full of all the other things, right? And so God is gotten a hold of your life and I'm sure just your outlook on life the joy in your life has been Mm -hmm. different since that time hasn't it yeah like I know that nothing else I turn to in this world can really give me that joy that Jesus gives me um or that same love that he gives me like the things of this world like they don't love me the way Jesus loves me right so right you can never have things replace the God who made us and wants to have a relationship with us. Mm-hmm. And the Bible says, and the hard thing about the Christian life is, as even as Paul, who had a great relationship with God, says we see through a glass dimly. It's as though we're just seeing a reflection 
of God. We have a long distance relationship with God in many ways. Though the Spirit dwells within us as Christians, we have comfort. Uh, the Bible says it's going to be so much better when we can see Him face to face. And I think it's interesting you came to Christ during a, uh, the apocalypse revival because we were talking about the end times and a lot of bad things involved on the eschatological calendar. But one day we're going to get to have the total joy and complete joy of being in the presence of God. And that's a good thing. And you have assurance that you're going to be with Christ because your sins have been taken care of. Mm-hmm. Great. We're so excited about that. And based on that testimony, Emily, we're glad to baptize you as Christ commanded in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Warmer than you thought, huh? It's a lot warmer they than They heated I it up, yeah. Unnecessary, well, but yeah. Unnecessary. <laughs> All we need is bubbles in here now. Yeah. Tell us a little of your story. Um, so a very wise and amazing woman told me to keep this story, uh, the main character of my story about Christ. So I, I want to do that. Um, growing up, I uh, never really trusted anyone. Most of my relationships were very superficial, and I I wanted to keep it that way because that was my comfort zone. And um, I was really adamantly obsessed with being successful and having a successful job, and that's where I found my identity and my worth. And out of college, I I landed a really amazing job in an advertising firm in L.A., and I thought that was it. I had made it, and I'm going to be super happy now, and everything's going to be wonderful. And, of course, we all know that wasn't the case. Mm. And living in L.A., I got really caught up in the uh, L.A. lifestyle. So I was partying, and I became addicted to drugs. And um, that was a good part of my life. And eventually, the drugs got... um, the best of me and uh, I, my life was spiraling out of control and I had lost my dream job that I had worked so hard to obtain mm. and I was devastated because that was my identity and that was what I thought would bring me happiness and so I went to my parents in 2005 and I told them you know that I had a really bad drug problem and that I, I really needed help. I, I was spending months by myself at some point just doing drugs and I needed their help. So we had collectively decided to send me to Korea. Um, So I lived in Korea for a while and, you know, I thought I'd do a fresh start. I thought I'd uh, start a new life. But of course, without Christ, that's not possible. So I slowly started to shift back into the party scene and, um, that's when I met my husband, and um, I, I then, you know, my wandering heart started to veer towards, you know, maybe I could have the perfect marriage and the perfect family life, and so I started to try and fill that void in my life with my husband and my son, and of course, that didn't work either. Um, so very, very quickly, actually, my marriage started to fall apart. Uh, We moved back to the States, and um, we went from counselor to counselor to counselor, and we randomly ended up at Compass Bible Church. And (laughs) it's not random. That's a word we don't believe in, but yeah. Yeah. Sovereignly. Sovereignly. Excuse me. Sovereignly. randomly from your perspective at that. Correct. Correct. Yeah. 
And um, we ended up at Compass Bible Church, and we ended up meeting with Pastor Ben, um, who I'm very upset had to leave, but <laughs> I loved him. Um, but I, I literally met with almost every single pastor, counselor in Compass to get me to this this spot here, but I'm so grateful for that. But I literally, literally went through counselor after counselor after counselor, and um, I eventually... Um, ended with an amazing counselor. She asked me not to mention her name, but I have to, Nancy, I'm sorry. <laughs> but she's such a big part of my testimony. And um, she, she, you know, we were in a counseling session. We were meeting almost once a week. And she, I, I told her, you know, I'm, I'm watching these testimonies, testimonies on Sundays. And I, I told her, like, I, I just don't feel like I have a testimony yet. I told her, I, I've been going to Compass for a while. And I'm hearing these testimonies, and I told her, like, I just don't feel like I have that, I've had that moment where I've, you know, I, I don't know, something's missing. And so Nancy, she asked me, she said, well, have you surrendered your life to Christ? And I thought about that, and I, I didn't really understand what she meant, but, you know, she said, have you given your life to Christ? And I, and I really thought about, had I really done that, and I realized I hadn't, and it had to do with so much of my trust issues that I was giving, you know, this part of my life to Christ, but I was still holding on to so much of it. And I realized, you know, in order for, you have to give up your life in order to gain your life. And, and Nancy, you know, when she asks you a question, you, you make sure you answer correctly. So I told her... <laughs> I told her, I, I don't think I've surrendered my life to Christ. And she looked at me and she said, well, what's stopping you? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and she said, well, let's do it today. And I was, I was so taken aback by that because I thought maybe she'd be like, okay, well, let's come back next week and we'll, we'll figure out if you've surrendered your life. Or I thought it would be slow, slow steps. But mm. she literally said, well, what's stopping you? Let's do it now. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, mm. all right. Mm. Um, so we prayed and, you know, I repented. And that was a new term that I had learned in, at Compass as well was repentance and what true repentance meant and what kind of life change comes with true repentance. So uh, we prayed, I repented, and, you know, I'd love to say, you know, from that day forth, my life was easy, but of course we know that's not true as well. Um, from then, it was just God's relentless, relentless pursuit for me and just showing me how to surrender. And it was it's it's been I, I can't believe I, I've gone through that but it was trial after trial after trial and at some point I was just so completely broken and so completely just demolished and um, there was one it was last year um, I was just going through trial after trial my marriage was just completely gone at that point it was court court case after court case, and um, I didn't want to do my Bible study. Um, I, I was really, I, I, was in an, I, mean, I was in an amazing women's Bible study um, group with, an amaz with amazing leaders, Jalita and Victoria, it, just amazing leaders, and 
they, they always tell you, you know, you don't have to do your homework, but come. You know, they, they say that, but they don't mean that. Mm. You have to do your homework. So I was telling myself, I have to do my homework. So I forced myself to do that homework that night. And there was a verse that really spoke out to me. And I didn't think too much of it. I was just like, oh, that, that's interesting verse. Um, but then I, I soon got a call at that exact moment that I was finishing the Bible, uh, the Bible study. And it was my friend Annie, also a church member. And I have to tell you, if anyone's going to get a crown and property named after them in Korea, it's going to be Annie. She, in, in heaven, I mean, in heaven, it's going to be Annie. She's, she's been through this whole, whole ordeal with me. So I, she's so, such an amazing person that I met at church. And she calls me after I kind of did my Bible study, and she said, you know, I have to share something with you. She said, she didn't say much, but she's like, I have to read a verse to you. And I just got goosebumps because I knew that it was the exact same verse that God had, want, as I was doing the Bible study, that he had kind of spoken to me about. And that's, that's how amazing our Heavenly Father is. He knows me so well. It wasn't enough for him to just show that verse to me through a Bible study. He needed Annie to call me and reiterate that verse to me. And I wanted to share that verse because this has been such a, this is my, I, I feel like he wrote it, God wrote it just for me, but um, she. He wrote it for the rest of us too. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I don't want you to confuse the kingdom of God with Korea anymore. Oh, either. sorry. Sorry. <laughs> You get you get so nervous up here and no, and doing great. <laughs> um, so Annie Annie says I want to share this verse with you I, I just have to share it with you and I got goosebumps because I knew it was the verse and um, it's Romans eight thirty one through thirty nine and it is what then shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You talk about surrender, and I'm sure there's some people who are thinking, I remember after a sermon I preached once, and I used that word, and some guy said to me, um, you know, I like all your stuff about God. I just don't like you talking about that surrender thing. God certainly doesn't want us to surrender to him, uh, you know, 
He wants us to stand on our own and make it on our own and take charge of life. And um, so I'm, I'm just wanting to make sure people understand this is not an extra biblical concept. This is at the heart of the gospel. In Luke 14, Jesus tells a story as though you're the king that's got 10,000 men and another king is coming against you with 20,000 men. He says, while that army is still far off, you're going to send a delegation and ask for terms of peace. The only terms of peace when you're outnumbered two to one is for you to surrender. And he goes on to say in that chapter, verse 33, he says, so you too, none of you can be my disciples unless you give up all of your possessions. That's a weird passage when you think about it, because none of us brings a deposit slip and, you know, cashes it in, cashes in our stuff when we become Christians. But in a sense, we do. Right? We, we, we say to God, I'm under new management now. I'm surrendering my life to you. And, and that changes everything about what it means to trust in Christ. We're trusting in him to take us, and we are taking him. And as that passage that you just so beautifully read says, right, that is a relationship that begins and nothing can separate us from that. The security in that, right, the, the fulfillment of knowing that I am in Christ and Christ is in me, that that overshadows everything else, but it's not going to happen by us assenting to some facts, right? What, what does it say about demons? They know all the theology, right? It's not about knowing a set of facts. It's about you surrendering to Christ. That may not be a word that you can point to in your favorite verse in the Bible, but the theme of that is everywhere. That's what real faith is. And we know that you've had that encounter with God. You've surrendered your life to Christ. You've read that passage well. Yay. That was good. <laughs> We're looking forward to the kingdom of God and not Korea. Yes. I mean, yes. Korea is great, but. <laughs> not right now. Not well, That's right. <laughs> and we are so excited about the fact that God's going to use your life, we trust, for good things for his kingdom. And it's based on that testimony, Esther. It's my privilege to baptize you as Christ told us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Thank you. Bat and clean up here. Yeah. <laughs> Last but not least, tell us a little of your story. So I grew up um, going to Compass, and I always knew that um, I wasn't a Christian and that I wasn't right with God. Um, but I pretty much just tried to get saved on my own and kind of go through what I thought was like the formula of trying to fake my repentance and faith. So I did that a lot through the edge. And then in sixth grade, um, I was tired of wrestling with whether or not I was saved, and so I was like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get saved. I'm gonna do this now, and I'm not gonna look back on it. So um, I professed to be saved in sixth grade, but um, I, really, I really wasn't, and I just tried on my own power to say that I was a Christian and to not doubt it because it was so hard to be wrestling with that. So I went through junior high. Um, I was convicted a lot, but I just tried not to think about it because it was just so painful to wrestle with it. Um, but I was very prideful. And even though I would say that, like, yeah, I know I'm a sinner and that, you know, I know that I'm only saved through Christ's works, um, deep down inside, I really believed that I was a good person at heart. And there was just such a disconnect from what I said I believed and then what I really did believe. Um, and when I would get this conviction, I never wanted to talk to anybody about it because I was so prideful. And um, I just felt like this image that I had 
people would just see me differently if I told them that I was struggling with whether or not I was a Christian. Um, so I got to ninth grade and um, it was just uh, one day after school, I was procrastinating on homework and I came across this article by Mrs. Pace called Confessions of an Unsaved Christian. And I read it and I just knew that I wasn't saved because in that article it just broke down every excuse that I had been making about why I thought I was a Christian. And God just opened my eyes that like, no, you are not a Christian. No matter what you say, what you believe at your heart is that you're a good person and that's, that's not enough. That doesn't make you a Christian. So I was pretty worried about that. So I texted my um, former small group leader, Mackenzie Jovichin, to meet up the following week. And um, that week in between, I was just like, okay, I just need to survive this week and then, you know, I'll get saved then. That's how this is gonna work. Um, so I was, again, just trying to do everything on my own timing and not even thinking about um, the Spirit's timing and how He would work in my heart. So before I even met with her, on Wednesday night I went to small groups and um, during worship, it was the first time where I felt like I was an outsider at church because I realized that I was singing these words but I didn't really believe them and I wasn't right with God. So. I just felt like, why, why am I doing this? Um, so I got home and I just tried to go to sleep, but God did not let that happen. Um, he was just really working on my heart and um, it was like scenes from my life just played before me and he really just showed me that I am a sinner. And um, even though that, that's something that I heard so often, I really believed it in that moment um, and I came to the point where like the weight of my sin just hit me. And I remember just sitting there thinking like, how can I even be saved? Like I do deserve hell and there should be no way that I can be saved because I don't, I don't deserve it at all. So I picked up my gospel cards that I had memorized about a thousand times in 180. Um, and as I was just flipping through them about like Jesus is God, Jesus, you know, died for our sins. Um, just that message, it was like the first time I'd ever seen it. And um, I just could not believe that Christ would die for me, even when I had been um, just sinning against him so much. And that was just such a big realization that I just, um, I repented and put my faith in Christ. And I wasn't really sure what was happening because my entire life I had been trying to do things on my own terms, but God did everything with his timing and um, just the way he did it was not what I would have expected. Um, so the following week I met with my small group leader and she was so helpful in um, just helping me get on my Christian life and um, just giving me that assurance that like, okay, you've made a profession of faith. Now let's see where, where your life goes. And I remember her telling me like, you're gonna have to like tell your parents. And I was like, oh no, I did not think about this. Um, and so that was probably one of the scariest things I've ever did. Um, and just telling people after that was like hard for me because my pride had to take a big blow early on that like, if you're a professing Christian, like you, you can't have this pride in your heart and you need to um, be honest with people. Um, so that was really hard, but I could just tell that 
God was leading me in that direction. And um, since then, I've had um, a lot of health issues and things have been pretty rough, but God has just been completely faithful through it all. And um, I definitely didn't think that I would be able to get baptized and to be standing here with all the health problems that I've had. Um, but he's been so good to lead me to this place. And um, I just, sometimes I just can't believe that I'm here and that he's allowed this to happen. It's mm, awesome. It's not just a problem with kids that grow up in church, but it certainly is a problem that we have. I say we, because I grew up in church as well. That, I mean, it's a hard thing for us to grapple with, but there's a, there's a word in the Greek New Testament, krino, and krino means to assess something, to assess it accurately, to judge. And there's a compound word, hupo, krino. Hupo means under. If you could get under the surface, you would assess it differently. It's transliterated into English, hypocrite, hupocrino. And the problem for us growing up in church is that we immediately put on the veneer of Christianity, want people to think that we're good, but underneath, if they could see what's really going on, we know that we're living life on our terms, right? Doing things our way, and we may be complying on the external, but it really hits us at one point, if we ever become real Christians, that we are hypocrites, right? That we are not who we are perceived to be on the outside. And, and that is something that we have to look back on your life and my life and say, I'm so grateful God let me see that distance between the reputation and the reality, between what people see and what's really underneath. And it's the hypocrites in scripture, which is all of us, until we get right with God to agree that we are sinners. And that's been a theme. Of course, it's going to be the theme we give testimonies, that we come to grips with the fact that we're sinners. I'll bet there's people out here just heard you say that. They don't think they're sinners. They don't think they sin. They don't think they're rejectable to God. And maybe like you and me, they grew up in church. They think, well, I haven't done anything too bad. I'm a good person. But the whole point of the gospel is you and I, against God's standard, we don't measure up. And to get honest, that we are not saved is the it's the key. It opens our eyes as God does that work to say we need his grace. We need his salvation. And I loved what you said about those gospel cards that you guys were learning in, in the leadership group. It, sometimes we just, when the veneer comes off, the, the, the mask comes off, the eyes get opened. We read a passage that we may have read a hundred times and it speaks to us in such a powerful and clear way that it just penetrates our heart. The Bible is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces through and divides like bone and marrow, like soul intention, our thoughts and our intentions. That, that's the power of God's word. And what a great testimony it was to see how God has worked in your heart. It's great to be honest, have the mask come off, to be honest with our parents, with our leaders, with our friends. And uh, God's been good to you to, like you said, through all your health trials to get you here today to be baptized. And it's a privilege and honor for me based on that testimony to baptize you as Christ told us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.